Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Bodies and Souls, Conversations for the Jewish Woman. My name is Sarah. I'm a certified teacher and school leader. I'm passionate about education and Torah and Hasidus. My name is Rifki. I am a certified nurse, midwife, and Kala teacher. I am passionate about using our bodies and our innate spiritual abilities to serve Hashem in the most healthy and complete way possible. Together, we are pleased to present to you Bodies and Souls, fascinating and informative conversations for you, the Jewish woman. Our aim is to provide you with multidimensional information that will inform and inspire you to be the best version of yourself, supporting your bodies and souls as they strive to be the very best in fulfilling our ultimate potential in bringing Mashiach now. Today I am here with Esther Brokarski, who is a shlucha in Tel Aviv. Um, she is a senior Kala teacher. She's been teaching Kalas for over 45 years. So has an immense um, treasure trove of both experience and knowledge, which she's going to share with us today. She is also a mentor for many, many, many women. And um, I actually started to have discussions with her on our Chabad Kala teacher chat, where um, we got into really great discussions about a lot of the topics that we're about to bring up and share with you. These are topics that are both relevant um, and deeply personal to the women who are listening. And I hope that they speak to you as much as they speak to me. Um, so the first thing that we spoke about and the first thing that I'd like to bring up here is the wording of Tuma and Tara. So sometimes when we talk about Tara and Mishpacha, um, we have words that we struggle to accurately understand due to how they're translated into the English language. Tuma and Tara are, are, are one of the concepts that I think a lot of women um, struggle with. So Tuma and Tara are usually translated into pure and impure, um, which then ends up leaving some women with a bad taste in their mouth that, oh, when I'm Mida, that means there's something wrong with me because I'm impure. So I want to go back to the very, very beginning of what these concepts actually mean in Yiddishkeit and in Hasidus. Okay. Um, I'd like to start with, though, in our 613 mitzvahs, I divide into three categories. We have the mishpatim, that are mitzvahs that we understand and probably would keep if we were ethical, moral people, uh, like do not steal, do not kill, respect your parents, be honest in your business tradings, uh, etc. Those are the mishpatim. Then we have mitzvot that are edut, they are witnesses. They're witnesses to our Jewish history, uh, which is mostly the holidays, uh, and such. And then we have mitzvot that are called chukim. Literal translation means laws. These mitzvot are, these chukim, as we call them, these commandments, are laws that are, we don't understand why we keep them. Um, not because there's no explanation and not because that we're, we're not smart. We're actually commanded to study and try to understand but it's laws that are beyond our understanding. And I always ask my brides, so what do you think, where do you think Tanat HaMishpacha belongs? Where is it Mishpatim, laws that we understand? I could teach you, we could learn Tanat HaMishpacha from the health uh, point of view, space point of view of the individual woman, where am I in the marriage? Um, 
uh, unconditional love, love without physical relations, that we have uh, two weeks of separation. So we can understand a lot of things. But there's one thing that we can't uh, explain, and that's why we go to the mikvah. And what is this pure and impure concept in the laws of Tarata Mishpacha? So where does Tarata Mishpacha belong? Is it Mishpatim? that we understand? Is it something a witness, like we have Mitzada in every place that there was a Jewish uh, congregation? We have witness that Jews live there because there's a mikveh there. Maybe it's a uh, it's a edut, maybe it's a, a commandment of uh, witnessing the, uh, the Jewish, the history of the Jewish people. And the answer really is that it is a chok. It's beyond our understanding. And I love this part because marriage is something beyond our understanding. How could Hashem command us? How could God command us to get married to somebody, some of us at a young age of 20, and live with somebody for another 100 years, 120 years? The whole marital institution is something godly. It's something very pure and something very spiritual that there really is no explanation because we could have children without marriage. We could love without marriage. We could stay connected to people without marriage. But to make it a holy matrimony, you need that holy. You need that something that's beyond our minds, beyond an equation formula that I could say it's because of one plus one equals two. I love him. He loves me and we will stay together. And to me, it's a very, very calming effect, uh, especially in the keeping the laws of Tara I have brides that say to me, I don't do anything I don't understand. I can't, I can't accept something that I don't understand. I have brides that say, oh, I love that. I like things because God said so. So my mind doesn't interfere. Well, let's go back to the uh, to the bride, and that's who you're asking about. That says, what does it mean, pure, impure? It's really holy. It's not the pure is what makes it something uh, from a different. How do you say in English, realm? Realm? Realm. A different realm. It transcends realm. it. It elevates it. Okay, that's the right word. Something above and beyond. And this is something that I want to feel in my marriage. I want to feel when I go into the mikvah that I am disappearing under the water and connecting to something that's endless. I want to feel it when I uh, have a day that I feel like I bumped into a wall, whether it's with my husband or with the situation and say, why? Why? And I say, oh, you know what? Maybe it's something that's part of the big picture that I don't understand now and will understand. Or maybe this is something that the holy part, which is the godly part of my marriage, is at the moment opening up my eyes and uh, is becoming more present in uh, this marriage. And I do it many times when I keep the, the mitzvah of Tarata Mishpacha. Like certain days that I say, hmm, these are wasted days. This is a day that I could have been with my husband. I'm over the period of before going to the mikvah. So I like to say, okay, this is my contribution to the holy part of my marriage, to the third partner. So it depends how you look at it. 
I look at pure. A baby to me is pure. It's beautiful. Smell a baby. You have the smell of the Garden of Eden, of Gan Eden. It's not chas It's not, God forbid, something that has to do with lowliness, something that has to do with the dirt. It's something that has, and, and now you're clean and you were dirty before. It's different statuses. It's the different levels. And we do want in our married life to go from level to level to level. We want to grow. We don't want to stay on a flat uh, surface. So that's how I look at pure and impure. Changing your level, the impurity is in comparison to the purity. And then back, impurity, because we went up another level. And, And then again, purity. We're just going higher and higher and higher to something that's very big because that's what marriage is, is something very, very big. So are you saying that every cycle you're actually on a different plane of existence? So you are in the absence, if can we say, is this fair to say that you're in the absence of a elevated form of Kedusha? So in that absence um, is the impurity. And then when you transcend that absence, then you get to a new level of connection and transcendence. Is that you could look at it as a ladder. A ladder has holes. I don't know what you call it. Between runs? the rungs. Oh, between the between rungs. Between the rungs. I don't know. Between the rungs. A vacuum. Yes. It's an empty space. A vacuum. A hollow space to stick in your leg to be able to go up. And that's how I look at it. So it's not a hole for itself. It's a hole for a purpose. So when you're in that state of impurity, you have to use it to go up to higher space. And you can't do that without the emptiness. Right, right. So it's not going back to where I was at the beginning of the month. It's after the mikvah, I'm going up another rung. You could look at it as a ladder or some people like as a spiral going up and up and up. I like more the ladder because sometimes you do- makes a lot of sense. Yes. That's the way I would. So you have to have like a paradigm shift in how you're viewing the nida. So it's not negative. It's a empty space that allows you to elevate yourself in your marriage. It's a journey. Journey has stops. I love that. You know, to drink, to replenish, to start again. And you can't do it when you're in the midst of something. You have to stop for a minute. So it looks like a pause, but actually it's a step uh, to go up. I love that. I think that's so fabulous. Um, So one of the things that happens a lot in couples, and we're talking about having the third partner and having a Likus and having a Shem in our lives, is that couples are sometimes on, sometimes it's slightly different levels or vastly different levels. What happens when a couple is not on the same space and one part of the couple wants more and wants to connect? Maybe they're, let's go back to your example of the ladder. Maybe they're in a different rung of the ladder or maybe they're in a different space and it just doesn't seem that you guys are coming together. So do you say, oh, we have to kind of like be mavater to the person who's higher? Um, Is there a place to come in the middle? Like how does a couple transverse through being on different levels? when it comes to Kedusha, specifically for Tara Samashvaha. Specifically, we could even give an example um, if we want. I think that this is the one I see the most often is when it comes to Harchakais and when it comes to, you know, just struggling through that portion of time. 
Okay, I could see that happening, and I've I've helped some couples go through uh, through this actually quite a few times. Um, I just want to first say, as a general statement, Torah mitzvahs do not cause a couple to separate. Torah mitzvahs is to keep couple wants to keep a couple together, and I've seen it in a letter from the Rebbe that a woman who has actually had to do with the mitzvah of a woman of covering her hair, and she said it causes her a headache. And they said it can't be that uh, a mitzvah is causing her pain, a headache, and she should check if it's not her hair that's pulling and or something else, or it's not her yetzahara that is actually talking. So as a general rule, when I have couples that have differences in religion, I say, it's not the religion, let's figure out what it is. It's a symptom of. It's, it's a, symptom a symptom of a heart of something else, yes. Right. And we've seen it with many stories of the Rebbe, how he uh, spoke to people about it. Instead of concentrating on the person who uh, was being complained about that he's not on my level, the Rebbe actually spoke to the complainer that uh, felt more righteous and said, do you worry? Do you show him love? Do you show him compassion? Uh, so there's a, quite a few stories like that. So that's one thing we have to know, that it should not be the cause of uh, pain and the cause of a rift between a husband and wife. Um, to respect each other. And I think that respect might bring the husband to respect the Tarsa Mishpacha, I once heard from a rough, is a woman's mitzvah. It's her achrayis. Uh, what she wanted to keep, it was actually a difference between a Svardi and Ashkenazi uh, couple. And uh, the rav said she should keep it according to her tradition because it's her mitzvah. It was her personal answer from a rav, but it's her personal mitzvah. So there are many things that we sometimes ask from our spouses, with it, whether it's the husband to the wife or the wife husband. I would like it. Could you respect me for me? This is my uh, mitzvah. Not always does it work, okay? I sometimes ask women, what talks to your husband? Is it emotional? Is it to do something out of love for you? Or maybe it's something intellectual. Could we explain it to him in an uh, intellectual way, meaning out of respect, let's find a way to speak to him. And then even if he doesn't, because he feels like, no, you're actually telling me when I could be with you or when, when I can't be with you or that I shouldn't touch you, don't turn it into something to him, make it you. I would like you not to touch me at that time. I once taught a, a woman that her, they were trying to have children for 10 years. They had a child there for 10 years. And uh, through her sister-in-law, actually, a sister-in-law wrote to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe told her uh, to be more strict during Taras and Mishpacha. And, uh, and then the Rebbe answered her to learn according to Lubavitcher Minhagim, which was interesting. They were not, you know, so uh, uh, makbid on uh, many mitzvahs. And anyway, she came to me to learn, and, we said, and she came back, and she said, listen, my husband's willing everything, but the hachakot, like you said, the keeping the stringency of not touching, she says purposely when I pass by, he sticks something into my pocket of my jeans, you know. Uh, okay. So I, we, I went through the discussion, what talks to him? And, you know, we got to, what does he feel like he's, he's lost his power, that somebody else is taking over his wife? 
is she giving him a feeling of being better than him? Um, and Baruch Hashem, they were blessed with twins. Uh, once he started, uh, you know, respecting her, he didn't say he's keeping the mitzvah stringently. He said, I'm doing it for my wife. I'm respecting my wife. And the minute she gave him room, um, respect, uh, he came on board. He came on board. Uh, so it really it's individual. I would rather sit with a couple and see how, like I said before, it's a symptom to something else. The symptom, a symptom to something else and to find out how to make it work. And many times when women say, listen, it's my mitzvah, you know, uh, for your film, I'm willing to buy the best film, give you the time, shachris, I will not send the kids with you to shul during the week so you could, you know, be with your film and stuff like that. Show, give something in return. This is my mitzvah. And many times it did work. There are other I, ideas. I, I love that you brought up the control. Like I actually never thought of that, but like maybe he felt like control was being taken away from him. Um, I think that's so important that like you look at the greater picture. What is he feeling in this and why is he holding back? And I, I think that a lot of times I, I I don't know how your experience was, but my experience when when a couple struggles, it is usually the man who's struggling with the um is more than the women are struggling although some women have like terrible anxiety that's connected to all of this um so i know that this wasn't one of the questions i was going to ask you but maybe we can go down this hole a little bit what are some of the things um on on a practical level that you would recommend to a couple who might be listening and saying oh that's us or you know we're at this different space and how do we um support the differences and the needs of one part of the couple, either the husband or the wife during um, Nita time, during the time of, you know, that you are keeping their caucus. And especially, I think, especially if your love language is physical touch or, you know, maybe you have underlying anxiety, postpartum depression, like some of those things can manifest themselves in this space as well. So what are the practical tips that you would say, oh, pay attention to this? Or, you know, what are some of the things that you would tell a couple on a practical level? I would first tell them, let them talk about it. Let him say, what's he missing? Maybe uh, he has to come to terms with his feelings or her feelings. If a woman says, I must have those hugs. It's so hard for me. Let her even say that to her husband, that she misses it. She wants it. And that, you know, some husbands say, you know, she doesn't need it. She's into her hachakas, her space, and (laughs) this and that. Let her... Let her voice it that you should know it's also hard for me. I do miss your touch. I do miss your hug. Uh, I do need it, and especially when I get my uh, my cycle. And uh, but she, I feel that this is what Hashem said, and this is something that I took upon myself. I wish she would be on board with me too. At least not make it more difficult. Uh, let him talk. Why is it hard for him? She doesn't even know why it's hard for him. Like you said, it might be control, uh, that she took away the control. Or some boy, uh, some men don't even say, I don't even like that God says to me when I have to be with my wife. <laughs> I had <laughs> a very funny story that I had was called on. I don't know if I told you the story. That I was on a call with the Department of Health here in New York City. 
and they wanted to develop something for the firm community. And I said, well, anything for the firm community needs rabbinic endorsement. Like, it's not like you can't do that and expect it to be accepted. And the woman who actually used to be Lubavitch, she's not Lubavitch, she doesn't work there anymore. So I'm going to share the story. Um, she was like, I don't need a rabbi in my, you know, she, whatever. Um, and I was like, well, actually we do like, and to like, even like come from the space of like, to me, it was like, obviously I have not maybe necessarily a rabbi, but I have the Tyra concepts guiding me in everything I do is, is to me, it's empowering, but I could understand where she was coming from. Right. So even just understanding like the position of another person is so huge. Right. So here a husband could say, I don't like the fact that I am being told, doesn't matter if it's the rabbi, the Torah, the mitzvah, the Akadosh Baruch, or someone else. Yes. I mean, sometimes you just saying if the doctor says she has an infection for two weeks, that it's dangerous, that it's not good. You would listen without thought. 100%. Okay. So that you have to find different things, but darke non, darke shalom, no force. I sometimes tell Bring them to negotiation. Let's try for three months her way. Okay. Like and and admitting that it's not easy. We're allowed to say it's not easy. It's not painful, but it's not easy. But maybe the, the togetherness, you see the plus of this mitzvah. I've had women who would keep this mitzvah quicker than other ones because they feel that they get feel the, get to feel the reward. Later when they are together, it's so much stronger. So the husband might feel that. A woman once told me that she explained to her husband that by him touching her during the Shiva Nikiyam or, or when she's in Nida, uh, those 12 days, she feels like she gives him, every, he gives her every day a penny. She says, I can't do anything with it. But if you oh, give me at the end of 12 days, 12 cents, I might be able to buy, I don't know, a licorice. I don't know what. A lovely taffy. A lovely taffy. Right. I, I like that. I, I think that that's, you know, so. She said that worked helpful. on him. It was on a, about a peck on the cheek every day when he left. He insisted on doing that because this peck doesn't take me anywhere. Right. But if we wait 12 days after the tefillah, it's a greater hug. It's a greater hug. Okay. So follow up on the question I asked. So let's say, and I think that the example you just gave is, is moves us right into that. So let's say a couple is on different levels. If you're a woman who's struggling with this and you feel like you're at a greater level and he does, um, like let's, let's use the peck on the cheek example, right? So does that diminish your keeping of um, Taras Hamishpacha and you're keeping of their hook is his, do, do his, here's the question. Do, do his actions um, cheapen what you're keeping? Like, meaning, do you have ownership over that? But I think for someone struggling, that might be, you know, like this internal guilt of like, he's not keeping their hook. Does that cheapen my keeping of the her Two things. Number one, I want to protest the <laughs> word on a greater level. Nobody's on okay. a greater level than anybody else on okay. different levels. Okay. Okay. Don't want anybody to feel they're greater than the other, but they think they're keeping more hachakas. But you know what? You're right. We're not the ones to measure. You're right. And that's uh, a very important thing to say. I think that that's a very important clarification. Thank you. 
I stand corrected. <laughs> okay. And this, um, uh, what was the second thing I wanted to say? Oh, Shalom bias is the main thing. The whole purpose of Tarsa Mishpacha, one of the purposes, we said it's a chok, we don't have the reason for it, ultimately, you know, but we do see the benefits and, uh, you know, the good that it does to bring peace between husband and wife. And we do have sources from the Rebbe saying that when you're um, close, when you're supposed to be separated, then you become separated when you might become separated when you're supposed to be close. And I've seen it and I've seen it. So we see that the, one of the purposes is to bring closeness between husband and wife. So Shalom bias is very important. That's why I said, it's not a general answer. Number one, a woman should not feel guilty for what her husband does. He's responsible for himself. They shouldn't fight about it. He'll touch her. He'll touch her again. She'll be upset. He'll feel that she's upset, but she should continue doing what she can and keep the shalom between them. Little by little, if she'll keep the shalom the peace between them, I am sure he will come up on board to start saying, because of you, I don't keep Taras Mishpacha, because of that, I'm going to be sin, I'm going to sin, because you touch me. No, don't go that road at all. I'll say, I'll share with you that I once taught, I think it was in Berkeley or San Francisco, whatever. I gave a talk on mikvah and a woman got up and she said, everything you said, I don't feel it when I go to the mikvah. And when all her friends around her were shocked that she went to the mikvah. <laughs> and by her getting up, she really made a great declaration to the crowd. She goes, but I don't feel it. I said, okay, let's talk about it later. So she came and I asked her, why do you go to the mikvah? Um, she says, because my husband became religious and he won't be with me if I don't go to the mikvah. So I said, so you're doing it for him. You're doing him a favor. She goes, yes, I want to be with my husband. So I said, how about starting to do it for yourself? Not for him. Like girls like to say, I want to own the mitzvah. <laughs> it became a new expression. I'm too old for this. But yeah, it became a new expression. I feel that the mitzvahs we don't own, we got them as Marasha as an inheritance, as a gift from God, even greater as an inheritance, and we want to own it. Okay, it's all Zion. But I said, make it your own, not own the mitzvah, make it your own. Go for yourself. And let's start the whole lecture again with the mindset that it's for you. Enjoy the time, enjoy the leaving go, the being undressed and nothing is, you know, no boundaries, the, the disappearing, the preparation, the union, everything for you, for you, for you. And then I left, I came to Israel, but I did get from her an email, it worked. No anger, not for him, he made me do it. He won't be with me because I'm, I don't do this. And I hate this mitzvah, I hate the counting, I hate the checking. <laughs> you know, we can hate a lot of things. It's a, it's a whole mindset, be patient. So I think also part of what you did there is you took away the guilt, right? So you took away the, you know, I'm not doing it right. And a lot of times I think that people take ownership and it's not just with her but like 
things like I've seen people take ownership for that for years as a, as a wife. And it's, it's not, a, it's not reflective on you. So I think it's very important. Usually not reflective on you. Wait one second. Usually not. I, yes. Thank you. I, I, as it came out, I realized what I just said. It's usually not reflective on you. Um, but I think taking away the guilt allows you to take the ownership of this, which is so, so important. So I'm really glad that we went off script for a second and we went into that direction because it is important if someone's listening and they aren't enjoying it more. Exactly. And, and, and it empowers you to continue to elevate yourself in a way that is dark, you know, in the dark, which is huge. It's really yeah. where the power is. Yeah, it's you just enjoy. It. You're more relaxed. It's you you connect to the mitzvah in a more meaningful connect way. to the mitzvah. Yeah, that and you see, you know, I tell women who are who sometimes call me up. Uh, how long do I have to sit? How long do I have to take? Could I go on the way here? Could I go on there? I say, wow, such a beautiful mitzvah, and you're rushing through it. <laughs> you're doing it so. By the way, Hashem gave you a gift, a time for yourself. Look at this crazy world. Don't take your phone with you. You know, just and by the way, that's generational. That is totally generational. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, and I think yeah. the younger, the younger we get, like I used to say, the younger we get, the more people are disconnected. But I've actually, I was just telling this to someone. I feel like there's a shift in the tide that the, the really younger people, like in the twenties, they're learning from our mistakes. They're getting like a little bit better than those of us in our thirties or forties that we we're at that like weird generation where we got thrown into this really fast moving technology, but weren't given any boundaries, right? So the next generation is going back to being like, oh, wait, do I really want all this distraction in my life? Let me be more mindful. Whereas we grew up without any of that mindfulness because technology just evolved piece by piece. As you were growing up. Exactly. So like, it's much harder for us to be mindful. In this I feel like I'm from the industrial revolution. <laughs> <laughs> but you're not because we get to, we get to, we get to enjoy, and we've had this special, so we get to enjoy the wisdom that comes from, you know, talking yeah. to someone with experience. Bina, remember, Tyra is like this hugely like validating source for this. Um, I have another question, which is also a little bit, um, off a little bit. We just, um, we did talk about this before we came um, on to recording this. Um, books, books and sources to improve our marriages, books and sources of ways to better marriage. And I know that in the beginning, we spoke about how marriage really isn't logical. And that's why you really always need to have the Kedusha and the like at the, at the forefront, because otherwise it doesn't make sense. And otherwise it doesn't work the way that it can when you do have Hashem and Elikos as the, as the, at the center of your relationship. So what happens when a book comes out that isn't available? Um, and you think that your friend read it and you think that this might be the answer to the struggle that you're having with your spouse. Um, is there a place to say, um, yes, go ahead and read it, whatever the source is, it's practical advice, no problem. Or is there a place to say, everything's in Tyra and we don't need it at all. Um, where do we come to approaching sources that may not be 100% in line with Tyra? And that's a tricky question. Like, uh, if we would have, or we do have all the sources in Torah. And it's amazing how like doctors all of a sudden discover something 
uh, or a new invention. And we knew about it all along. Okay, and when I had my job, first job over 40 years ago, uh, I remember when the doctor told me that they just uh, discovered that if uh, a, a woman that's expecting listens to music, the baby hears, fetus embryo hears it, and uh, and it'll it might cause waves that will be familiar, <coughs> language and stuff like that. I told him then that I know about it because actually it's it's uh, I, I learned it in Torah. And then the next time he says, this time I'm telling you something, you cannot tell me that it's from Torah. And he told me that what I will eat, because before it was language, it was something, you know, in the air, but here physically, that what I eat will have. So I told him the story of Elisha Benavuya that his mother ate from <laughs> that she wasn't allowed to, and it affected his Yerushalayim. Uh, so it's been like this through the ages, but we don't get to it. Uh, always to the sources of Torah. Also, uh, at the moment, maybe when I'll be 80, <laughs> uh, it's not too far, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll have time to sit down to write all the men are from Mars and women are from Venus and other books of the surrendered wife and, and such. Uh, in Based on the Torah view, it's in the making, and I wish we had it. At the moment, we don't have it. What I do do, and could be I'm wrong, I'm not a rabbi, I am just a mentor and a teacher. There are some couples that I feel if they would read the five love languages, we have that also in Torah. We have Gila, Rina, Ditsa, Chedva, Ava, Ava, Shalom, Reyos. We have all the languages that we could use. Sasan, the Simcha, you know, we have all the languages. We have all the 12 steps. And we have the 10 spheros. We have really the steps, but we didn't sit down yet and break it down as mentors. We're just new in this field of writing these things down. So sometimes if I feel that the book has some guidance, not has a strong if I know that it was really from a bad source, even though I don't know these people that wrote them 100%, uh, but I, uh, there are I would say maybe three or four books or two or three books that with a lot of pre-preparation with on what notes to concentrate on and not to put it on the shelf as a Bible unorthodoxed, you know, as but read it through, get the idea. You know, sometimes if you tell uh, uh, there's some people, unfortunately, if I say, um, a quote from, you know, from the Torah, they'll say, oh, come on, please. You remind me of my high school days. But if I say, look at the way Kate Middleton dresses when she goes out to represent uh, the throne, the, the crown, it's like, oh, well, of course. She always wears stockings. It's rules of, the, of royalty. It make on some people, unfortunately, sometimes we need a book from the outside, but with a lot of preparation from the color teacher, the mentor, and not something that should stay in their house. Read it through, pick the idea, and let's discuss it. How could we work from there? And sometimes it's either before or after, I bring then the mimer that says it. 
or you know the this the Jewish source. Unfortunately, you have to meet fit your. Uh, my matara is my goal is to get that shalom bias. So if I have to use a certain clea, that might not be a hundred hundred percent from a uh, a, a from source. I try to get the the best of the of the best. Chachmas bagayim tamin, and uh, and work it together. That's all I could say. It's a personal thing. So I know that we 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 actually don't see a hundred percent eye to eye, and this is why I made sure to bring in this um, because I think it's important to know that there's variations, right? And obviously, always speak to your mashpia, speak to your rab. You'll find what works for you. Um, but I do want to reiterate that what you're saying is that it's always in collaboration with someone who is knowledgeable in the nuances of where Tyra and that book may differentiate so that you can have the guidance. And it's not never a um, whole truth. It's the only whole truth is Tyra. It's a yeah. partial truth that we can work yeah, in. We because, agree on. Right. So this is the part <laughs> that we agree. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but I want to make on. sure that whoever's listening understands that like a book like yes. Doyle's is not a yeah. 100% truth. It's a partial truth. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Excellent. So fabulous. I think that we um, got through a lot of the questions, but just in closing, when speaking to women who may be struggling with Tara Samishbacha, and you had to, I know it's a hike. We went through going through the rungs and we went through that a lot of it is not logical and that's okay. But the power that's within this mitzvah, not in context of your marriage, but as um, as the wife and as the mother, because it's Taras HaMishpacha. Can we talk a little bit about the power that's inherent in this mitzvah on the whole family unit and on the woman in specific? Meaning it's very common for us to discuss, oh, you know, you have a, another honeymoon and you have this reunification. But what about the larger picture? Can we talk about that for a minute? There, uh, you know, like I mentioned, we have 613 mitzvahs. We, uh, I wish HaKadosh Baruch Hu would have told us which mitzvah, uh, you know, we have 613 limbs and uh, parts to our bodies, Evarim uh, and Gidim. And not always do we know, well, we rarely know what goes to what. If we keep, like the Rebbe once said to somebody who said he has a lot of debts, the Rebbe says, you know, you also have a lot of debts and you're saying the Rambam. Make up what you're missing the Rambam. Only a Rebbe could tell somebody, if you would put on your film, you'll have a bracha in your parnasa or something like that. Tarsa Mishpacha is one of the mitzvahs that uh, we saw from answers of the Rebbe to many people, helps in a broader picture. It's not specific for one limb or for one part of the body. It's not for one person in the family. It is for the whole family. We've seen letters and answers that the Rebbe gave when people wrote about chinuch, and the Rebbe answered them. Be more midactic, stringent in Tarasa Mishpacha. When it came to health, but I've also answered, be medactic in Taras and Mishpacha. It, uh, it's like an all-encompassing encompassing, uh, mitzvah. <laughs> yeah, encompassing. <laughs> Kolelet. 
uh, a mitzvah that really protects the whole family. And many times when people argued with the Rebbe, and the Rebbe says, if I would give you a gift and tell you that this gift will protect your family for generations, because this is what the Rebbe says in a sicha, um, that uh, uh, to, to the women, to the Chabad, the Tarzah Mishpacha is for the woman, her family, her husband, her family, her children, her grandchildren, and for generations to come. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's so powerful. It's so calming. It's so, it's also very, makes you very responsible. <laughs> uh, makes you realize the responsibility of keeping Tarzah Mishpacha um, I've also seen it through the years uh, that guests were shluchim, guests come for Shabbos to the house, and we have um, a five-and-a-half-meter table that's big. I don't know what it is in feet, but it's very big. I have no idea it's, what that is. <laughs> okay, it fits 24 comfortably. Oh, wow. That's a very large table. That's a long table. Yeah, it's a long table. And then sometimes people like come and they say they're by a shop. I sit on one end and my husband on the other end. That's very far. <laughs> and sometimes people say, when I get married, this is what I want. I say, what, what part of it do you want? They say, this. I say, what? The 12 kids? You could take, you could take them now. <laughs> you know, when they were kids. <laughs> or, you know, I said, I wanted them to be to realize it's not, it's not the food, it's not the tablecloth, it's not the kids. They said, there's a lot of love here. There's a lot of they don't have the word kadusha, but that's what they're getting to. They they said there's a lot of spirituality sometimes they say holiness there's some there's something in the area so I said well maybe it's because I sit up five and a half feet away from my husband you know I tease them yeah. I love that there's humor in the discussion yeah it's yeah. not this heavy discussion right right they say no he says they said you could see it your husband doesn't call you honey and there's no hugging and there's this but there's a lot of respect there's a lot of great things here in the air, a lot of beauty in the air. So it's something that's felt. It should be felt. And if it isn't, we should really check out why. <laughs> why the kids feel, should feel a certain gadusha that we prepare ourselves to have that. They don't have to know the details of Tarasa Mishpapa, but it, it's, they're not an afterthought. They're not a mistake. They're, it's, it, there's, family planning in the right sense of the word. <laughs> right. Family planning, exactly. Planning for the family. Family, yes. So it's not just, so what I think the, the overall um, message of our talk today is that it's not just the series of yeses and the series of noes, but it's the, in, the, the spirit that's behind it and the, the meaning that's behind it that really creates a space where, where this, this is a mitzvah that is so deep and so transcendent um, and, and takes us to another plane of existence. So it's not just the, the law, but the spirit in the law as well. It's, a, it's interesting. The Tarsa Mishpacha on one hand is very technical. It's very physical. It has a lot of details. And on the other hand, it's very, very spiritual. And I tell it to my kalot that I teach. 
This is the beauty. To me, it's the, the best mitzvah to teach us what Torah is about. It's juggling and combining the most spiritual of things and the most physical thing, your intimate moment with your husband and, and everything else that's involved in Taras and Mishpacha, uh, the details and everything else. On the other hand, it's something so spiritual and so great. And only a woman could do that. I love I'm a that. big feminist. <laughs> <laughs> I love that feminism is, uh, Tyra is inherently feminist, by the way. Yes. I think that it's like- This week's parasha, Kotomale Bet Yaakov. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we are the Karis of Bias. We are the foundation. Right. Nobody right. looks at the foundation and goes, wow, what a beautiful yeah. foundation. But without the foundation, everything falls. So yeah. I think, that I think that's it's a mindset. I really think it's a mindset. Women should be proud that Hashem uh, gifted them with that. And we have the source. We have the ability to, to change from Tame to Tar, to be life, to bring love, to connect. There's so many things beautiful in it. And um, it hurts me when women complain. It's like giving them a gift and saying, oh, this is too heavy for me. It's too much for me. Uh, I don't want to be there. Enjoy it. Take it. It's I'm giving you a voucher for a spa. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I use it. That. Use it in good health. <laughs> Fabulous. So thank you everyone for listening. Um, on that beautiful and uplifting note. Um, I hope that our talk today um, gave a lot of meaning and a lot of food for thought. Um, listen to it again if you have to. Um, but I think that there's a lot of pearls of wisdom here on very practical levels and on more spiritual transcendent levels. This is our word of the day today. Um, so like the word pearls. Pearls. Oh, yes. Of course, you like the word pearls. <laughs> so it all comes pearl. together. Yes. Okay, yes. so thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Take care. Okay. It's the night in Israel, so I'll say good night to you okay. now. Okay, good night. Take care. Lots of nachas. Amen. Amen. You too. Bye bye. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed and grew. Original music of Shamil's Nigan provided by Chazan David Katak. We look forward to your input, feedback, and suggestions. We also have partnership opportunities available. Please email info at bodiessouls.com. Again, info at bodiessouls.com with two S's. Thank you. Thank you.